And when COVID broke last year, people were calling it a health crisis. By August, I knew it was a fraud vaccine crisis. And now is the time to take on the fraud within CDC, NIH. They're going to do the cabal, as I call it, where they actually use human beings as guinea pigs for vaccinations. Okay, so today in American Conversations, we have Marie, uh, who joins us from Louisiana. And um, Marie, you have been, have, have had a lot of ailments since you took the Moderna shots earlier this year. Can you tell us about your life, what it was like before you took your Moderna shots? Yes, I'm a very, or at least I was, I'm still trying to be a very active person. You know, my, part of my job is being very active. I also have a farm back home, so I deal with large animals. I'm an avid hunter, so outdoors is my preference of life. So it's, you know, always active. I have a young child too, and and so, you know, I'm a pretty much nonstop person. All right. So you had, um, as I recollect, you were a, you were um, a field biologist. So Correct. it's outside. Um, when did you take your first Moderna shot? June. Uh, sorry, March 17th. I took the Moderna shot. And and what were what was your reactions immediately afterwards and in between that and the second shot? Within uh, two hours, I had a rash over, I took on the left side. So I had a huge rash over my arm and on my torso. And then um, I also had some veins popping on the inside of my arm. And so, but I took an Allegra and, you know, it gave me uh, fatigue for a couple of days. And I just assumed it was fairly normal and ignore the symptoms and but then I start having tachycardia shortness of breath for a couple of days intense gastrointestinal issues and then by week three I had the dizziness come and we came with memory fog and I couldn't drive anymore it just and then I start becoming dependent on people to come to work and do any you know anything and everything else so did you did you uh experience any sight any hearing sensitivities at all yes yes definitely the hearing sensitivity and sight sensitivity too is the ear the ringing in the ears started and it's almost like sirens and you know very intense which i, I haven't had before and then also sight sensitivity. I work, you know, even though I'm, I'm a field biologist, I'm also managing uh, my current position. So I read a lot of papers and research papers and such. And so my vision was, it turned off a sudden like a double vision. It felt like I was just drunk, you know, mm -hmm. without drinking. Right. And so um, you chose to get the second shot. I was advised by my family practitioner that is it was better to be safe and, you know, by also looking at data, CDC, FDA, and, you know, that it's it was the safe way to keep myself and others safer by taking the second vaccine, yes. So did you have increased 
uh, reaction? Definitely. I took the second vaccine on June uh, 17th. And uh -huh. it took three months apart from the first one because I was in steroids and antibiotics for so long, treating the first first symptoms, and 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 so the second second time around, it came as a really intense uh, symptoms like, um, sorry, I have some uh, notes here That's just okay. because my take, memory take is not time. is is take not still. That's okay. So the, the second shot and oh, that's something that, yes, because I had reactions from the first shot, I had to bring an EpiPen with me, which I had, but it was way past expiration. I also called the pharmacy to let them know that I did have the rash. I did have some symptoms post first vaccine to have an EpiPen on site just in case and be aware that I could have extreme reactions. Right. And so after I took that second shot, I didn't have to use the, the EpiPen, but I right away, the dizziness hit me. I had to sit down in the little chair and just stay there. And it was just like, they even asked if I was all right. I said, just, I got dizzy. And, and so it took me at least 30 minutes to finally drive back home. And so for, so, for two days, yeah, yeah. go ahead. No, go for on. two days, for two days, you know, I thought nothing really happened. I didn't have the rash. I didn't have the mm -hmm. shortness of breath and the tachycardia. So I thought, whoo, that was it. You know, I passed with flying collars, no arm pain. It, it was, and then day three came and that's when everything went downhill. Okay. So let's talk about day three, because that was, that was a pivotal point in your story when I talked to you earlier. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so day three, it started with just, it hit me like a brick wall. I got out of bed, you know, I usually, um, I wake up around five o'clock in the morning, I start moving around, get my, you know, and, and then all of a sudden, it was just like, I could not walk. I could not walk in a straight line, or I could move his from the bed to the couch, and I'm not a couch person. I don't like TVs. I, you know, and just crawling to the couch. I couldn't lift my head. It just, you know, and it, I, I wasn't sure what was going on, but I, that I called right away my family practitioner and my ENT because the ENT was, you know, made the suggestions prior to the second shot that it could have been related to a post-vaccine reaction. And so he prescribed me right away steroids, kind of let's try, you know, one set of steroids and hopefully that will help you. Now, how did, how did he come to the conclusion that possibly steroids would help? Is it because by June of 2021, there was more discussion among those who had been earlier injured that steroids worked for some of those vax injured? It, it well, not necessarily, but it, it was kind of a hit or miss because he was also one of the doctors that followed me up from the first after the first shot. As okay. I was having so much hearing, equilibrium problems and such, he treated with steroids and antibiotics. And so the steroids, it looked like it kind of lift the brain and decrease the overall inflammation, which it helped and then all of a sudden it wouldn't help 
And so it was kind of a hit or miss, let's try. And, you know, at that time I was desperate. So I was just, you know, let's do something better than nothing because it felt like just a dark place and I couldn't look at the light, the noise would bother me. And then started with facial paralysis, right side paralysis, uh, right side tremors, which I still have them. And shocking pains all over my body, felt like I got hit by a truck or whatever. And and so, and then hot sensitivity, you know, I couldn't take hot showers anymore. And I love taking hot showers. It, it was just, you know, my skin start getting numb all over the place. So I could even cook something and grab with my bare hands. And, you know, it was like, oh, it's like super powerful or something. And, you know, it's just mm -hmm. so the numbness, it was just all over and multiple neurological symptoms that was were bothersome, definitely. So as this because now we're, we're talking to you on November 17th, um, 2021, and, and this is months later. Where are you in terms of understanding what happened, and has it has have, have these ailments subsided, stayed with you, sporadic, daily? I mean, how is this? You know, how how has your life changed? It definitely changed. It slowed me down completely. So I, it's hard to make plans nowadays. You know, I'm. I'm Finally back at, you know, I've been, my, my job has been very understanding with my situation mm -hmm. and not knowing what is going on. Multiple doctors and testing and, you know, no really answers because this is fairly new and, and there are no answers and no medical guidance. But it's every day that I wake up, it's like, you know, you, you hope for the best. I stay, I'm a very positive person, so I stay positive and moving forward, but there are some days that I cannot drive, I cannot function, and so I take breaks from work. And and I still have the tremors, as you can see, if it's, and I have been to the neurologist and they rule out is not Parkinson's, is not related to anything with my bones. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, they call essential tremors. And I don't feel they are essential because they, they are very bothersome. And, and so the, there are symptoms that come and go. And, you know, we, we do try to focus and enjoying the good days. But when we do have the relapse and it's just very, you know, it, it's kind of, the, it gets you, it, you try not to lose hope that this is just going to pass it through and I'm not stuck with a, forever autoimmune disease have, have have the doctors given you hope is it your faith in god that's given you hope i mean is it your eight-year-old daughter who's given you hope i mean is it is it you know I, I i what we've heard from a lot of people that have gone through this that there, no day is a predictable day correct correct that's a very yeah it's unpredictable and, and it's hard for people to understand you know, one day you're fine or you, you, you hide your symptoms. I'm a person that when somebody asks, how are you doing? And I'm always going to say, oh, I'm, I'm great. I'm fine. Even though my face is half paralysis and then I have the shakes and it's like, you know, I don't focus on the little problems. Right. I focus on what, you know, so I change my diet, change my lifestyle and, and such. But hope, yes, the support of my family 
And then, of course, having an eight-year-old that is, you know, she needs, you know, mama and the family and the support. And she's very understanding. She even learned how to cook for herself most days and, you know, do the laundry, do the dishes. And so she, within this time, she has, you know, grown a lot. Sure, sure. Without oh, burning the house. Without, without burning the house. <laughs> How do you how do you feel now though? But as a mother of an eight year old, that they are, the U.S. government is targeting or farmers targeting, you know, <clears throat> your child. Yes, that's definitely something that you know I'm with a background of research and reading, and you know, all my life I'm a very pro vaccinated, pro vaccine. She has all her vaccines. I have all my vaccines. And then all of a sudden reacting to, you know, such a way, it, it's very scary. And there's no long-term studies. You know, we don't know the long-term studies. I thought, well, okay, I'm, you know, in my 40s. If something happens, not a big deal. I already passed half of my life thinking, let's all be safe and get rid of this virus going around and save my family from getting infected if I would ever get infected with the virus. Unfortunately, that's not the case. And, you know, mandating this to kids and not knowing the long-term side effects, that's very worrisome. Is it also worrisome to you as, as a field biologist that because of your reaction that, and this is your daughter biologically, that something you in your genetics reacted to whatever is in Moderna? And then Correct. It really harm your daughter? Yes, yes. That's something that you know it could. I've been trying to get some genetic testing done to see if there's any pattern, and to you know if there is any genetic analysis that could have been done, and then possibly into into her to understand is is there a pattern? And that's mm -hmm. part of you know doing research. You try to right. to get the facts and get the data and do you you're do you know the but I, you know, there's, you know, I, I even, she, she does have heart issues, my daughter, and she uh -huh. was at the cardiologist yesterday. And I told the cardiologist that I reacted really bad to the vaccines and, and he suggested she still should get vaccinated. Why? <laughs> yes. My daughter. Why? For, yes. I mean, we know, we, we, did, <laughs> did it, did he even, has he not heard about the heart inflammations that, that yes. has been recognized? I know. I, I was just shocked. And that's the point when talking too much, it doesn't get nowhere. And I'm not the researcher that's going to tell the pediatrician cardiologist in town to say, and I almost asked him, I'm sure you got new patients since mandated vaccines happen in at the university because mm -hmm. we have heard of many cases of young and not just males, also, you know, females with right. with heart conditions after vaccination. That's true. It's not, I think the, earl, the earlier cases that we heard about were, were young men, but then it has moved into mm -hmm. women as well as the increase of the younger, oh, the younger groups. I mean, that to me, that's scary because it's almost as if these um, pediatricians are ignoring some of the CDC warnings. 
you know, but there again, some of these pediatricians are scared to death that if they write an exemption, if they're able to write an exemption in a certain state, because some states you don't have, you can't write the medical exemptions. Um, that the, you know, I think the pediatricians are afraid that they're going to be called up before the medical boards. The, you know, there seems to be a rampant fear among many of these doctors, um, and and put and those who speak out even are now are now at risk. Did you ever feel in your research that you've done, um, because you're a seasoned researcher uh, in science, did you ever feel that the, that there was enough ruled out to focus on what exactly may have happened to you? Did there you have still enough tests done? Did, they, the, the, did the doctors order enough, enough tests, the MRIs, the CAT scans, the D-dimer tests? Um, I had to do a lot of my research when my brain was working right. I had to start doing my own research, finding per, per review papers and such. And I learned a lot from Dr. Malone, which is the original creator of the mRNA vaccines and, and studies using animals and such. And so mm -hmm. a lot of, uh, amazingly, a lot of the research papers, even though they were published, showing signs of, you know, post-reaction of vaccines, you know, th this type of vaccine. And, and all of a sudden that paper would disappear. Right. Like it go, would get pulled out for, it's like, that doesn't happen. You know, once it's usually once it's published, it already passed all the revision and is out there for the public to access. And so it's very troublesome that is it is just like what's happening, you know, what what is going on? Why is research papers that you know it's is research, it has to be shown and mm -hmm. is there to be criticized or followed or or not, you know, it's for researchers to or even people to read and make their own, um, you know, decisions. And so it, it was just, um, I think I, I, I lost my train of thought here. No, but you're actually bringing up something that that, that that I hadn't thought of before, because I think I think if I'm looking back on all, all of the interviews we've done, I think you're the first science biology researcher that we have interviewed. I mean, I may stand, be stand corrected, but I think you are the first one. And it's interesting to me because what you're talking about is that the normal process of scientific research is now being changed in the middle of a global pandemic. Correct. So tell us how it usually works, because I think it's important for the public to know that once a report is published, it may be denounced but it stays published, correct? Correct, yes. Once it's, it goes through so many different reviews until you get that publication, sometimes months, years, and it's just such a lengthy process. You know, your paper goes through, you usually submit to different journals, you, you write your paper, you know, you get, you collect your data, you do your research, you, you do internal, you know, whatever research institution you're associated with. And it goes through so many, so many revisions. And once you choose whatever journal you, you know, a science journal you want to publish, you submit to that journal. That journal has a list of researchers from different institutions that are going to review that paper mm -hmm. and criticize. 
like they're not shy about criticizing. They're going to tear it apart. Mm-hmm. It's a not, not an easy process, but it's a very educational process. You know, it gives you a different vision of what, you know, maybe maybe your institution was not thinking about it. And, and so they give you a certain time to fix, make corrections, resubmit, and sometimes takes multiple submissions or denial. Mm-hmm. You know, denial mm-hmm. before going to public. But once you get that publication done, it is a done deal. It's There's no pulling back. Usually, if you get a publication that is criticized, is usually criticized out loud, meaning other researchers are going to, you know, mention your paper and say, no, this is, you know, I don't agree with this because of such and such. And so it's everything clear out, you know, for public to access or, you know, mainly institutions or researchers that have access to those papers. Do you do you remember which one of Malone's papers disappeared that, that which, you know, became, which was the reason why you noticed this? Yes, it was about uh, heart conditions, pericarditis and myocarditis after COVID uh, vaccination or SARS, uh, you know, how, how they uh, use, they, they usually don't mention COVID-19, but the actual SARS uh, virus. The mRNA. Yes. That they used for the SARS back in 2003, 2004. Correct. In the animal studies, as I recollect. Yes. When did you notice that that went missing? <clears throat> It, it was actually pointed out by Dr. Malone because I was able to read the paper when it came out and then he posted, he has been, you know, put it, removed from social media, you mm-hmm. know, and, and that's something that is, it's like, he's a researcher, you know, mm-hmm. he is, social media is out there for people to express themselves and, and isn't it freedom of speech? It's, you know, and that's the thing. You gotta gather the the information and make your own information and decisions. Mm-hmm. And so it's it feels like it's directing towards only one information is getting out there. So do it's you getting feel, filtered. Do you feel looking back now that you were given informed consent uh, back when you took your first Moderna shot? Uh, the, uh, the informed consent when I, uh, you know, I took my shot at a pharmacy, which right. uh, it was a little worried because it's like, this is a new type, you know, gen- genetically modified vaccine and such. So it's like, you just go to a pharmacy, no medical guidance or, you know, it just, and, right. and so you just sign a piece of paper saying, you know, you don't have allergies. I think it said something about eggs and, and such, or never reacted to any other vaccines or such. And, and you know, you fill out your information, not on steroids or anything like that, that decreases your immune system, which triggered me the question, like, huh, those are, you know, the vaccine is highly suggested for people with low, low immune system, which wasn't my case. Now it's completely different scenario, but, it, so you're yeah, saying the way was, that you the way that you read it as as a biologist is that it was correct. not that the vaccine should not have been given to people with low immune systems. Correct. But the irony is that you now have you you received it with with normal immune system, and now all of a sudden it's caused you to lower your immune system. Correct. Yes. Yes. And, and after I took. 
I took my first shot. I didn't even get a little paper, nothing to go home with. Like I, I had nothing to about side effects or possible side effects. It was just like, okay, you know, you stay around, around about 15 minutes, walk around the store and go home. You know, no number to contact for side effects or if you have any side effects, call this number, no guidance. So what have you learned from this experience that you think that the public needs to know going forward? It, that, that, that's a very hard question to, you know, I try to educate and share my experience as a researcher that I believe we are in the middle of a research experiment. We are using our own bodies and our own population and, and right now is worldwide so it's like the whole planet is part of this this vaccination and you know yes we and is it's a tough one you know you gotta weigh your pros and cons if you want to take this what it's called vaccine to prevent you from getting covid and possibly dying in the hospital but at the same time data showing that you can still contract the virus. You can still pass the virus, even though you got this sad vaccine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else, Marie, before we close out that you'd like to, the audience to know? No, well, I appreciate the time and, you know, the awareness that you're bringing to others that side effects need to be, you know, made aware. It's, it's a chance that you're taking, especially with mandates. You know, people should have the freedom of choice of, you know, whatever they're injecting into people's body to accept or not. And and so in mandating this into kids, that's, you know, we need long term studies in animals first before using our own kids to know that what can cause autoimmune disease, cancers, reproductive issues is just heart issues is, you know, even neurological conditions. I can't even imagine a kid going through what I'm suffering. And, you know, I, I have a pretty good pain tolerance and understanding my own body. I used to teach human physiology. And mm -hmm. so I have the knowledge and trying to understand how to cope with it. And it's like, how would a you know five year old explain, you know? And well, that's true. You've you have the experience, and and you have the use of the language in the medical terms to communicate to a doctor, <clears throat> where a child does not. Correct. Yes, it, it is. Well, we wish you. We wish you. You know that you recover. Uh, and that that it that it's quickly as, as we do everybody because I know that this has been a prolonged state for all of you, um, yes. and I just I, I, please come back to us anytime. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you for having me.